Welcome to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation Podcast. In this episode, we answer our students' questions and share information about yoga therapy and meditation with the intention of creating a new paradigm in wellness. Okay, so today we are talking about the uh, two inner koshas. Um, there's Nana Maya and Ananda Maya kosha. There are five koshas. And the way we kind of think about them is outside in. You know, usually we think of our uh, outer kosha as our physical body. And then we have our pranic body, which is our energetic body, which is very linked to the physical, but it's also linked to the interior koshas. And then we have the conscious mind. Um, so I like to look at, there's, there's a few different models of this, but this one works best for me. Conscious mind. Um, and then the Vijnanamaya kosha, which is really the unconscious mind. Um, it's also the seat of our intuition, which we'll talk about. And then Ananda Maya Kosha, which uh, is often languaged as the heart. Um, it's where we, you know, if you, if you have this framework, it's kind of your individual soul or the place where you link your individuality to the greater, like to nature itself. Um, if we can put up that Kosha chart. In Western yoga, you know, we contact all these all the time. Um, but what's kind of become of, of the yoga world is this outer kosha experience um, for a variety of reasons, including our bodies are very important. So, you know, that's how not everybody, but I think a lot of us uh, got into yoga is by taking asana classes, pranayama classes, not everybody. Um, so we get very concerned with these outer koshas. And as a yoga therapist, you know, that's, that's what the, um, the big hubbub is about, right? Because we have different ways of working with the body and the breath. But um, over time, you know, what's happened is people started getting more interested in mental health. And now that's the real, <laughs> the real thing we see here at the school, most people applying uh, to come to the school have a, some sort of mental health uh, trauma focus um, in their thinking. And so we need to be looking at these sort of middle to inner koshas. So you have the manomaya kosha, um, which is this sort of conscious mind, mental sheath, has a lot to do with your personality and uh, your thought processes. And we work with that, but certainly therapists, you know, mental health therapists work with that all the time. But we know as yoga therapists, or we're about to know, <laughs> that um, that's not the whole story. So um, while it's a very important part of the story, of course, um, it is only one of the five things we're working with. And one of the things we know is this intuitive, unconscious mind, the Vijnanamaya Kosha, and our ability to be influenced by Anandamaya Kosha, which is also called the bliss body, um, are, uh, I would say, essential to our mental health. They, we are built um, to be aware of these things. And um, when we are not, um, we get mental health consequences. So 
I say that in the spirit of, if you hadn't um, really thought about this before, um, you know, it's not just the body and the breath that's doing all the work. And it's, it's sort of uh, a shame that, you know, sometimes it's sort of presented that way. Um, there's other aspects um, to ourselves that, that we need to address. So um, I just wanna spend a few minutes talking about these two koshas, the um, Vijnana and the Anandamaya kosha. So uh, the Vijnanamaya kosha, uh, it's our unconscious mind. And you know, one of the things we're really doing when trying to contact it is to open our conscious mind to our intuitive or unconscious mind. So we're trying to make it so they have communication together. You can think of it that way. They sit right next to each other in that nice little chart and they need to know each other well. Um, and it's through this process that we see how our like hidden patterns affect us. Um, and really a lot of yoga, uh, you could argue a, a great majority of yoga is kind of based on this concept of, of not letting the mind continue its unconscious patterning because that causes us suffering. Every time you're anxious about something happening in the future, this is happening, right? Like you, you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh my gosh, I have this huge work day. I got to give this retreat and I got to let out the dog and I got to feed my daughter before I get there. I'm feeling super anxious right now, right? That's patterning, right? There isn't actually a problem. Um, the experience we're having is is yoga says is not really um, doesn't really match with our true reality, which is in the present moment when your eyes just opened and you're feeling the breath moving out of your body and you're present. Everything is super okay. And yes, you have to let the dog out, but that's really not such a big deal. It shouldn't not shouldn't be, but um, it doesn't necessarily need to provoke an anxiety response that causes you suffering. I'm totally not talking about myself right now. I'm talking about you. Um, so, so that's what yoga is kind of thinking about sometimes. It's like, why is this happening? Like, why are people suffering? Why do people not understand why they're here? And why are we all kind of like having these uh, past events affect our current thought patterns? Why are we worried about the future so much? Why are we suffering? Um, and... Why do we make decisions based on that? That causes us more suffering. Another way to say that is why aren't we perfect? You know, why, why aren't we perfect? Um, and yoga says, well, there's a good reason for this. Um, and this is karma at work. This is like how it works. So if you read the yoga sutras or many other texts, um, there's this kind of reference to or description of karma and its effects, um, which is an important concept in yoga. And it basically says things happen in the past. They create knots in our consciousness and where they create knots. And here's the important part. So we'll all take a breath so we don't miss the point of this lecture and this day. They create knots in the Vijnana Maya Kosha. That's where the knots are. That's where they reside. They're sitting there. It's not that they don't have effects across your body, your mind, everything, but like that's where they live. 
they have taken home in your Vijnana Maya Kosha. Vijnana Maya Kosha is where, right, your knots in your consciousness, your trauma, your karma, all of it, it's where it resides. And the word we use for those are called samskaras. So you might have heard that word. Another word you might hear is gratis, which means knots in Sanskrit. But a lot of times you hear the word samskaras. And that's a description of everything I kind of said, the, the things in your consciousness that um, feed your mind, your conscious mind, and cause it to think all the thing it thinks and makes it so you're freaking out about letting out the dog when you shouldn't be. The good news is that the system always wants to balance itself. So homeostasis is true throughout our entire system. So if you've studied any kind of physiology or anatomy, that's true. You know, the, the body's just always trying to fix itself up. You go for a jog this morning, you're like feeling good and you're keeping yourself, you know, you're working on your, your body and you burned your 200 calories. Guess what your body's going to do? When you walk in the house, it's going to say, eat a 200 calorie cookie, right? Your, your body is just in a constant state of this. It's like, how can we keep everything the same? And it works the same with your mind. And it works the same with your unconscious mind, which is something we don't always uh, think about. So, so the unconscious mind, like it, it doesn't, your system doesn't like this scenario. Um, and so instead of just staying hidden and buried, which sometimes we wish it would be all these uh, some scars and their effects, um, it bleeds out, right? It bleeds out into the upper koshas and you have, it feeds our actions, it feeds our thoughts. And that might seem bad, but it's not because the, um, the whole point of that bleed is to get us to pay attention and to change the scenario. So nature wants us to complete our journey. So if you're more Hindu-ish about the whole thing, right? There's this past life concept where you get born over and over again. So some of these samskaras uh, come with you from past lives. Um, some of them you developed just now by listening to me talk. It's everything from just now to when your individual consciousness um, arrived. Um, if you wanna be more Western about it slightly, um, if that doesn't land for you, we know now that people pass on uh, genetically trauma, which um, to me, when I, when I first read that research, I was like, are you kidding me? This is like so yoga. Like, I cannot believe this is true. I never believed this was true. And they studied a bunch of, I've seen this in different contexts now, but the one that I read was um, uh, Holocaust survivors and their children. And they did some studies. I don't remember how they did this, but they found some people who weren't raised by their parents. So it wasn't the environment and all those things. And they found genetic markers. Um, so that's super interesting. So point being, right? That these samskaras, as we call them in yoga, get passed on. So they're in there and it is our job and nature wants us to work that all out and complete our mission of being fully realized people. That's the yoga philosophy behind it. Um, not that esoteric, actually, um, when you're working with people as a yoga therapist. Uh, I've done this for years, and people really get that concept that their past right, influences their future, and that the process is not going well. 
And so often mental health clients, right, are coming to you because they, they want some solutions to that. Um, the way this affects our health, there's our mental health, but, um, you know, we all have heard these concepts and probably thought about a little bit about how our mental health affects our physical health and our quality of life. Um, what, what this kind of yoga model would say is that kind of bleed out sort of lands in those upper koshas. So your manomaya kosha, your pranic body, especially in yoga. Um, but the Western thing that's happening now is your physical body. So, you know, the issues in your tissues and all these things we hear where like, like trauma and difficult things like reside in the body come if you look at it through this yoga lens from that concept. So it's kind of bleeding out into all the other koshas and you can work with them in the other koshas, which is great. But here's another main point. You can't fully resolve them until you get to the Vijnanamaya kosha. It is not possible from this yoga theory, which I personally believe because I've experienced it within myself. So you, you can do a lot and you can definitely get to a point where you don't care that you have some scars in your vision on a kosha. We all get to make those choices because um, until we're enlightened, we're all working through this process, but they cannot be completely resolved. They cannot be disappeared, says yoga. And yoga is really concerned at its roots with you know people getting enlightened. So um, it's kind of an important concept to at least understand as a yoga person, um, even if you're not sort of, this isn't your kind of main thing right now. Um, that that resolution will not come without some sort of direct addressing, uh, which is what we're going to talk about today in the Vishnanamaya Kosha. So just back to that Koshik kind of model, this explains why people get better from all sorts of things, but not completely better until they've resolved their stuff. What this does not mean is that your cancer is caused by your trauma from two past lives ago. So just to be clear, that is, that is not what that means. Um, but what we probably should believe as yoga therapists is that there is an influence there that is important to take note of. So that is our uh, Vijnanamaya Kosha. There's so many words to talk about this and so many of them are loaded. So we always have to think about who we're talking to. Um, so I'm going to use all sorts of different words. So you hear me saying our connectedness to nature or other people. You could use your divine self. You'll hear that a lot. Um, you could use your soul. Like, you know, it, it depends on who you're talking to and what those words mean to them. Um, so, you know, a lot of people through yoga sort of uh, end up with this more devotional um, what you even call religious language, you know, even though they weren't coming from that place. Um, and then other people come from a religious place and that language uh, is either going to be very useful to them or not at all because they had a bad experience um, where you'd want to sort of broaden your language out a little bit um, and use this these connectedness concepts. They all mean the same thing. So it doesn't really matter. Um, it definitely doesn't matter, you know, yoga-wise. Um, if we don't have connectedness to Anandamaya Kosha, we, this is the working theory, are not able to feel content. Uh, and you could also use the word happy, although, but I think the feeling of deep contentment 
is something that might be like a truth that's like easier language wise, um, as opposed to being like super psyched about something, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's awesome. But that's not the same um, as like a deeper level of contentment. It's, it's more transient. Um, and the only way for us to really experience that according to yoga. So I, I'm going to stop saying according to yoga, but I'm just going to give an overall thing right now, right? These are not my original ideas. It might be my spin on them, but none of this is something that I made up. So that's why I keep saying according to yoga. It's not like, you know, I'm saying this and you must believe it. This is the philosophy we're working out of. Um, so, so in order to kind of achieve this, um, Patanjali like threw it in the yoga sutras and it was like a big event when he put this one word in, it's really, you could argue the thing in the yoga sutras that makes it um, a kind of different, super useful book in a historical context. Um, he uses the word as vara pradidanam, which is surrender to God, um, which if you've read the things leading up to it, you might not see coming. <laughs> um, so, his point being, um, there needs to be a sense of surrender. Another word for surrender is acceptance. They're different, but I think you could use that. It might be helpful if surrender isn't working. Um, like deep, deep acceptance um, in order to experience the Anandamaya Kosha and, and experience this deep contentment, which as Swami Satchananda said, which I've always love that he said this is is our birthright so that experience is our birthright as humans so it's not something like revert reserve for special people it's not something that only some people are supposed to experience it is the thing we get to experience because we're humans um and it's sort of like part of being a human is being able to experience that contentment. So when you're not able to experience it at all, things expand and contract and come and go, um, from a yoga therapist's point of view, you got a problem. Like that's how I look at things, right? Like we have a problem, like this is the normal state of affairs, this blood, red blood cell level, and the doctor takes your blood and, and it's low and they say, we have a problem. So as yoga therapists, we're sort of like that, except we're looking at different things. We're like zero contentment, not good, like not in the normal range of humanness. So we have a problem. So what are we going to do about it? Um, at the heart of, well, one of the issues with getting there, I'll say, is our, um, we have this resistance um, or we're stuck, as the Yoga Sutra says, in this like kind of cycle of like and dislike. You know, so it starts with our mind, which again, just to go back, is being fed by the Vijnanamayakosha, being fed by those samskaras. And now we're in like a, a sort of constant cycle of like, like and dislike. I like this, I dislike this, I want this, I don't want this. Constant, constant, constant evaluation, which of course is all important to like living in the world. You can't just like walk around just letting, cars hit you because <laughs> you, you know, you, you're over your dislike of things, right? So we need to do this. But unfortunately, what kind of goes along with that when it gets out of control um, is are cutting us off um, from our deepest senses ourselves. 
Um, and to get out of it, we have to drop, right? We have to drop down to these inner koshas. So we need some sort of practice to do so. I mean, in a perfect world, we don't. So if you wanna, you know, there's I think Lolita Devi, you know, she lived like in the woods in a temperate place and didn't wear clothes and hung out by a waterfall for like, you know, I don't know how many years, you know, <laughs> just like, like sort of got in touch with nature, did lots of things and practices, but like kind of, kind of was living that lifestyle, you know, picking berries off the trees and not, um, you know, being able to just to really contact her natural self, which includes the Ananda Mahakosha. But we don't live that way, um, fortunately and unfortunately, probably. It's probably two sides to that coin. Um, so we're kind of in this place where we're constantly reinforcing, you know, our separation from that part of ourselves by having to make all these decisions, by, um, by having those decisions really be cemented off of our like dislike of things and our negative bias. Um, and every time we do that, we're kind of not being aware, right, of our sort of core selves. You could, you could put it that way. So the primary way we would need to work with this, there are practices, meditations, contemplations, things we do, but um, I think as yoga therapists, um, the thing really to center on a little bit is that we need ritual. So ritual is a big part of yoga practice, right? Like we do things same way over and over, we set things up in a certain way, we have a certain attitude going into things. Um, and we create an environment and a space. And often we do that physically, like in a temple, you would do that, right? But, but more importantly, we create a mental space where we can then contact uh, Ananda Mayakosha. And by ritualizing this and doing it regularly and turning things into a practice in that way, um, our mind then gets used to contacting the Anandamaya Kosha. It's not that it's not there, it's just that our, our awareness and consciousness is, you know, let's say on a normal day, 90% not there, 10% there. And what we do as yogis and with these practices and rituals is to try to bump that percentage up. So even an extra 10% of Ananda in one's life can make massive amounts of difference in their day-to-day -day experience. Um, so that's what needs to be there. Sometimes, sometimes um, the Vijnana Mayakosha and all these samskaras are in the way of that. Like we literally can't do it anymore because these um, past experiences are influencing our mind so much that our mind is like, has no more bandwidth to, to go into the Ananda space. And I'm sure a lot of us here have experienced that. Um, and so we have to do other things first before we get to Ananda. And sometimes not, sometimes you can just kind of end around the whole thing <laughs> um, because again, it is our birthright and it is something we are able to experience. So an example of that is sometimes um, when they do like yoga nidra for veterans with PTSD, not everybody, but you'll hear these accounts, you know, of certain people like 
getting like kind of blown out of the water by the contentment and peace they're feeling, um, even though everything above it is kind of like not going well, right? Mentally, maybe even physically. Um, and so you'll see that too. So we do have the capacity to kind of go directly there. Will it solve all our problems? Usually not, um, but it definitely helps keep the mind more sattvic and content. And um, in terms of just stress levels in general, you know, contacting your bliss body on a regular basis, right, is going to bring everything down, and that's going to affect all the koshas, including our physical koshas. Um, so, an example of that would be our nervous system, right, changing from that. The other big concept with the Nandamaya kosha is being connected to other people and animals, I mean, things like beings. Um, so that's why there's so many therapies with animals, like equine therapy, therapy dogs. Um, this helps people do that. Um, so that's a big theme is connectedness. Um, and what we know by studying humans and how long they live and their quality of life is that connected people are happier and probably mostly important to us as yoga therapists, they're healthier. Um, they do better. Um, in the blue zones where people live the longest, they're all in groups, they're connected, they either have big family structures or societal structures that makes it so as they get older, they're not alone and they have purpose. Um, so as yoga therapists, that's on our mind too, because often we'll get clients experiencing some mental health stuff or maybe physical and mental health stuff, which is really common. And they're kind of going downhill mental health wise, and you realize they're disconnected. They're not, they're not with other people. They don't have purpose. They're not working in groups. They're not working on, you know, any kind of project, you know, even like walking down to the watering hole and getting water for the village, you know, once a day, you know, you have purpose, right? You, you're going to make sure everybody has water <laughs> and you wake up in the morning and your system knows that. Um, and the other way we get connected is direct connection to nature. So there's the people and the beings part that's really helpful. And then there's direct connection to nature where we actually see or experience nature and it changes our mind's ability to contact Anandamaya Kosha. And uh, great examples of that kind of concept being put into kind of uh, practices like forest bathing, you know, things like that, where people like literally, um, you know, use nature in order to uh, enhance their experience of Anandamaya Kosha. Um, we know from Western science that people who do things like walk through the woods actually experience physiological changes that you will not get walking down the sidewalk in a city. Um, and where, when I, where I first encountered that concept was a sort of byproduct of a study of AIDS patients in Japan, where they had them doing all these things. Um, and one of the things they had them doing is walking through the woods and they just kind of through the research, this might've been where this concept started, were like blown away because like people's white blood cell counts were, were increasing in the group that was like in the forest, I can't remember what it was, 45 minutes a day walking versus the other group that was like exercising and, you know, whatever, living in the city. 
And so they looked into that further and there's chemicals that come from the trees, et cetera, that change our physical responses. So it's, it's just another piece of evidence that we are built to be connected to nature. Like that is, it's in our genetic you know, system. Um, and so it's gonna be hard to kind of drop down, not impossible, but without that connection, it just makes it a little harder Right, to find that peace and surrender and contentment that connects us through our Ananda. So that, that's going to be another strategy we use, is getting people in nature. Medical professionals and other, I mean, people have these thoughts and people are people. So of course, there's a billion therapists around the world that say you should take a walk every day or take a deep breath. But um, I would like to point out that this is where we shine. This is our this is our jam, whether you know, you're know you there or not yet, you'll eventually realize this, where sure, we're like pretty cool with back pain. You know, there's lots of things we do. There's lots of interesting things we do, but like working with the inner koshas is not something most interventions do. And most people do not have access to being guided in how to work with these things. So um, this subject is like near and dear to my heart because this is where I feel like the, some of the really important work of yoga therapy should be done. Because um, other modalities address other things and we address them too, and we all are, are doing great at that. But I don't think many people are thinking about the Anandamaya Kosha, you know, when they get a mental health client or somebody with an autoimmune disease or someone who has cancer and is getting depressed. Um, so this is gonna be a standout sort of thing that you know that other practitioners probably won't. And the last thing I want to say about these concepts is that it's not so much a belief system. So um, if you're thinking about it like a belief system, you're gonna, it's going to come off that way to clients. And for some people, it's not going to land right and you're not going to get anywhere with them. So um, I prefer to think of it as you know, like a map, you know, it's, it's, it's a map of, it's one map and there's lots of maps. So this Koshik model in general is a map. And these are the details in that map. Uh, and you're really helping someone get from A to B. So, you know, someone's like, look, I'm sick, I'm depressed. Um, I honestly, at this point, don't even know why, you know, I'm here. You know, my life is not that interesting. I'm like stuck in my house and, all I do is watch TV and I'm in chronic pain. Like these are the kinds of things you hear because we're working with people that, where things aren't going well. Um, and I don't know what to do about it. You know, I, I really don't know what to do about it. And our job as yoga therapists is to, to present this in a way where they can really see that it's a, a kind of series of practical practices and steps that will lead them. And sometimes you need these concepts. We don't always explain all this to every client, but sometimes you need these concepts. It's like, look, this is how we see it in yoga. You know, this is how we see it. There needs to be a, a feeling of presence. You know, there needs to be a little bit of surrender and connectedness in our lives so that we can feel happiness and contentment. Um, past, past events in our life create really uh, big things in our mind and without interventions of some sort, um, they don't really go away. So we never, we never kind of move beyond them in the way we want to, whatever that is for you. And, um, you know, I'm here to help you experiment and with 
yoga practices to see if they can help you do that. Um, and the only kind of faith part of that is the faith that if we do that, this is available to us. Because what yoga says is we all can find that peace and contentment and happiness we seek, you know, but it's, it's on us. It's on us. That's a yoga thing. <laughs> That's another yoga thing. It is on us. It is not a pill. Thanks for listening to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a positive review, and sharing it with friends. For more information about our yoga therapy and meditation trainings and programs, visit breathingdeeply.com.